This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Wrap for this Monday, April 24th. The weather forecast for today, cloudy, a chance of showers and a high of 8 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, striking federal workers are vowing to up their protesting today. Number two, a new poll finds Canadians mostly support the workers. Number three, the Environment Minister for Ontario presenting plans for a new provincial park right here on More in the Morning at 8.20. Number four, the Leafs play a critical game for tonight. And number five, how friendly do you think Toronto is? The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good Monday morning. Look at that, 24th of April. Four degrees outside, a little bit on the wet side. It's not steady or anything, certainly where I was. Um, but then again, I wasn't paying as much attention to uh, the weather this morning because I was Ubering in. Because the latest misadventure in my life is having somebody steal my license plates for Pete's sake. Noticed it on my way out the door on Friday. We were catching an Uber to go to the train station, and I looked at the car, and I thought, okay, where are the, where's the plate? And then we looked on the front, no plate there either. And so perhaps those plates were used in a $10 million heist at Pearson Airport. I'm not sure. But I can certainly tell you. Somebody said, you must feel so violent. I thought, no, I mean, somebody stole my license plates. And I'm pretty sure it happened in a garage, a parking garage, not in front of my house, because there's way too many busy bodies in my neighborhood for somebody to crawl around the car with a screwdriver. Um, but the, the problem is, can't drive the car, can't put it on the road, got to go to Service Ontario, got to file a police report, got to call the 407, got to call uh, Green P. And, you know, all because some idiot stole my plates and probably used them for a few hours, and they're probably in a trash compactor somewhere by now. Um, so that might explain my orneriness this morning, amongst other things. Then I have to go see the dentist. So this is just going to be the funnest day ever. So which is less painful, the root canal or replacing your license plates? Well, having to do them both before lunch is kind of, it's a not a perfect storm because... You know, I could get run over by a truck on my way to the dentist. Then again, I wouldn't have to see the dentist if that happened, would I? So other than that, fun weekend spent with family in Quebec. And uh, here we are on a Monday morning with lots of things to talk about. It's actually one of those days where there's not an overwhelming number of news stories, but there's a ton of stuff that needs to be talked about. That includes the public service strike and... You know, I'm not one of those people who reflexively is piling on against any organized labor and piling on reflexively and automatically against people who work for the government. So, you know, I saw this summary this weekend. Somebody gave a rundown of about a dozen headlines from pretty well every news agency in Canada. And somebody said some liberal media because... You know, to a media outlet, including the CBC, they were all about how demanding and selfish and um, unwarranted the protests, all of that stuff. All I can say is they've made their demands. The government is digging in. Their demands aren't uh, completely unreasonable when you consider 
that we have, we are contending or did at one point, we've been contending with inflation. So on the one hand, people on talk radio can't stop talking about why can't the government stop inflation and how painful it is for Canadians. And then in the next segment, they'll come back and say how awful it is that these workers are asking for pay hikes. Mind you, I think the government's pay hike is probably more on target and it always has to be uh, considered that federal workers, most civil servants, I mean, there's a lot of different worker profiles when you work in the civil service. I mean, there are some people off in the, in the wilds doing hunting inspections. Um, but for the most part, you've got good job security and it's not the hardest work in the world. You're not exactly running a fishing boat. Uh, interesting poll, though, and we'll get into de deeper detail on it a little later on, but I think you might be surprised, or maybe you won't be. Uh, a survey was done about how Canadians feel about this strike, and first of all, they don't feel that there's some sort of an existential thing going on, um, aside from issues of uh, getting your tax refund or getting a new passport. It's not really having that much of an impact. But I will give you one portion of the poll, and that is well over 50% of Canadians support the idea that these uh, workers are fighting for more ability to work from home. And I think that's because this is, to my knowledge anyway, the first organized labor dispute where one of the major demands is all about working from home. And I think most Canadians who had the opportunity to do so liked it and want to do it more. And it's been an incredible episode over the last three years where first we went and worked from home and it was a trial by fire because what's this Zoom thing or what's this meetings thing? Um, then people got quite used to it. Then the pandemic, it's not over, but let's face it, we're living in very different times. We got to a point in the pandemic where, or, you know, employers put their foot down and workers said no. And so that's where we are in this particular working dispute. So people are not, they may be unsympathetic to the wage demands, but I don't think, it doesn't seem they are unsympathetic toward the demand that you have more ability to work from home. Because there's so many things we discovered where the organized workplace was absolutely not necessary. One of the ones I come back to quite frequently is 311. If you're calling some operator to find out about what do I need to do to pay my municipal taxes or I want to report a pothole, why does that person have to be in some sort of a boiler room with 50 other operators when they can be working from a quiet space in their own home? And actually, that's another really interesting um, column today, Tony Keller writing in the Globe and Mail. And he sort of breaks down how much money workers have managed to save, how much more they have in the bank as a result of working from home. And it's not just confined to the workers because employers are saving money as well because some employers are on the hook for transportation for their employees. They're certainly on the hook for the office space. And if only half your workers are working on any given day, then you can start scaling back on the office place. So it's actually economically worked out very well. And again, this is one of those things we'll unpack in greater detail um, a little later on in the show. wanted to touch on, I know it was yesterday, but you know, stuff that happens on Saturday, Sunday gets less attention. 
Um, Sean Leethong reporting on the fifth anniversary since the Young Street van attack, an attack that took 10 lives. It has been five years, five years since 11 people were killed, 15 more injured. But for those marking this dark day in Toronto, the time seems like a moment ago. Well, it's emotional. It's, it's, you know, this brings us back to the day that it happened. And this day specifically, you kind of recount what's going on, what happened at this time, and what was going on. You look at your clock and you kind of remember what happened on, uh, at that specific time. With a small gathering near where the Young Street van attack took place, family of victims, some who were victims themselves, and others who played a part remembered where they were when it happened. I was in New York City actually when it happened and um, you know it was uh, talking about a brotherhood and sisterhood of law enforcement. The NYPD uh, rushed me to on an airplane and I was able to fly over here. I was about uh, 10 minutes away from this from the area here and I think I saw the last um, ambulance that left the scene. It was around 1.30 p.m. on April 23rd 2017 when a man driving a rented van drove down the sidewalk along Young Street in North York. It was later revealed that his cowardly act was aimed at women, which nine of the dead were. Toronto police taking the driver of the van into custody. He was later found guilty of 10 counts of first-degree murder. Even five years later, I think we're still so very sorry that this tragedy happened to their families, and um, we will remember them. We are working on a memorial for them. It was unfathomable then and still shocking now. Part of the small ceremony also marked the first time in three years that this event has been in person. The family of victim Anne-Marie D'Amico has since created a charity raising more than $800,000. But it's more about, you know, we want to continue the legacy. So it's whether it's a million dollars we're trying to raise or $2 million or $5 million, like it's just something we're going to be a part of. It's something that is now us, like my sister is us through this foundation. So when it comes to healing, they say it's hard to tell. Today is about remembering what seemed impossible and what seemed only a short time ago. That's Sean Leithong reporting for CTV. A little later on in the show today, we're going to be speaking with an expert about violence that is committed by the type of person whose name I never mention, who was responsible for the van attack. And this research suggests that incels, as they're known, are becoming a greater and greater threat. And incels, as you probably know by now, are almost universally male, uh, guys who can't get any action. And so they are jealous of guys who can, and they hate the women who they think are denying them what they deserve. And so they then band together on the internet and sometimes pull off violence. So there's a new survey out today, or a poll out today, about how the mayoral candidates are doing. And they also ask some interesting questions. For example, um, Torontonians, not surprisingly, are concerned about crime. 51% say they'd be scared to walk alone at night in their own community. 61% say crime in their community is getting worse. I guess I would have answered that as well, because I just find the level of chaos on our streets to have been on the rise over the last year and six months. And, you know, stupid things. I realize it's not violent crime, but for the love of Pete, somebody stole my license plate. So it's like, what are we, 
ah, I don't even know what to say about stolen license plates because it's just such a freaking nuisance. See, now, if you had that New York mentality, you'd know that they sell anti-theft screws for license plates, and yeah. that's what I have on my car. Well, the bonus for me today, if there's a bonus, is the Service Ontario outlet closest to my home is at a Canadian tire. So I'm hoping that I can get the new screws because I think they're still at the garage. They probably left them on the pavement or took them with them. But, you know, got to get the screws. All right, time to say good morning to News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, uh, we couldn't connect with you last Friday, so it's good to see you this Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. Let's get into it. So PSAC is threatening to escalate their strike action by taking it to various ports that could affect the economy. Uh, and this is to, I guess, put more pressure on the government. Yeah, quite a bit of rhetoric over the weekend, Jennifer, as the union promised and their leader, Chris Aylward, said that they were going to up their game today. And as you mentioned, ports and other points of access could be a problem. I don't think that means they're going to be blocking people who are coming over by land. And I would imagine they're not going to you know, completely interfere with port traffic. They'll just pick it at the sites. Mm -hmm. But um, their demands, as you know, 13.5% over three years, feds are offering 9% over uh, four years. And one of the interesting things this morning is there's actually a poll that says at the very least a majority of Canadians support this union's demand for more work from home. And I think that's because it's a test case for an awful lot of us. Mm, okay, interesting there. Uh, and turning to this, which happened yesterday, uh, a memorial to mark, you know, the five years since the deadly, horrific uh, Young Street van attack. And some mayoral candidates also showed up and spoke about it. This was, as you mentioned, a memorial on the fifth anniversary of the van attack, which killed 10 people. There were uh, two men and eight women, the youngest two people, age 22, the oldest, 94. Uh, we're talking on our show this morning with an expert in incels and misogynistic mm. individuals. He says the violence is getting worse, and so is their ability to organize online. Okay, uh, important conversation to have. Uh, and turning to this, Ontario is unveiling a new provincial park uh, near Toronto. It's in Uxbridge, and the Environment Minister is joining your show at 8.20. It'll be interesting to talk with the Environment Minister, David Piccini, at 8.20 this morning, because this announcement was made on Earth Day. It is welcome news to hear about another provincial park, but a lot of people are wondering, okay, is this just sort of the payoff in exchange for everything that is being mm. released to developers or that is going to be consumed by the 413? So uh, looking forward to that conversation. Yeah, we'll find out if it's a consolation or kind of a legit great new thing. Okay, uh, and finally, John, we always end with something more interesting. You have your doubts about this next story, so do I. Uh, but Toronto was just ranked the friendliest city in the world. Yeah, I'll be very curious to hear what you and other people on CP24 have to say about this. Uh, the way they did the index is, are there friendly staff at a place? I mean, this was a polling of visitors, obviously. Uh, are there friendly staff? Um, how often do people actually come back to a destination once they have been there? Is there community respect? Is it uh, safe for both the people who live there and newcomers? Uh, is it diverse? And just how happy are the people there? And as mentioned, mm -hmm. Toronto, number one. Second is Sydney, Australia. Uh, Edinburgh, Manchester, and New York City. And you know what? I love New York City, but I don't know if I would call it a friendly city. <laughs> All right. I'm sure we're going to put the question uh, to some of our uh, viewers and the people who work here. But hey, you know, a smile always helps when you're getting a latte or, or some food. I, I lied. We do have one more story. We're talking about the mm -hmm. Leafs. Uh, game four is tonight. They won over the weekend, so that's always good news.
Yeah, we're leading 2-1. And what people are talking about ever since Saturday night's performance is both uh, everybody in the management booth and a lot of chippy behavior, and then Austin Matthews ending up in his very first fight. I like Bruce Arthur's take in the Toronto Star today where he says maybe this is the Leafs showing they've got the winning spirit, mm. not the Leafs on their knees. Yeah, exactly. Let's hope for a repeat, you know, when they're doing it in Tampa, so that's always a challenge. But if they can win there, I guess they can do a repeat of that. All right. News Talk 1010's John Moore. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Have a great show. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. That's Jennifer Shang over at CP24. And yeah, Bruce Arthur's column today opens with, Welcome to the FU Leafs, literally and otherwise. And yeah, I, I kind of like this take that it's not about whether or not they can't stand the pressure. It's about the Leafs saying, no, Mr. Nice Guy. And I know that people were quite split on social media with Kyle Dubas, who was in the box yelling at Tampa Bay Lightning fans. And if you read his lips, I think there's a few FUs in there. But again, some people said, that's what I want to see out of my managers. I don't want them, you know, no more Mr. Nice Guy. So let's see if it holds. But if the Leafs go to the next round, I think this city is going to be absolutely electric. I was mentioning that poll, and I mentioned one of the polling questions. This is about voting intentions in the municipal race. Uh, so that certainly spells out some of the themes. For example, Torontonians also split on whether the police budget should be cut so that more money could be moved into social services. 39% say yes, 37% say no. But I think the big takeaway for anybody, you're probably wondering, okay, how are the candidates lining up? So, in a survey of all voters, so this is not people who have necessarily made up their minds absolutely, but a liaison survey found amongst all voters, um, first of all, 43% are undecided. So, undecided is going to win the day. Uh, Olivia Chow leads with 13%, followed by Josh Matlow at 12%, Mark Saunders at 11%, Brad Bradford 6%, and Anna Bailao is at 5%. Intriguingly, Anna Bailao in the previous poll, not by the same company, was seen to be in the top three. But I'm not terribly surprised. Olivia Chow still has a following. Josh Matlow, I think, has been surprising a lot of people. Because, you know, um, when he was in studio and we were doing the first interview, because most of the candidates, most of the leading candidates popped in for a conversation. And I said, you know, this is not an easy thing to say to your face, but you're not popular on council. And the smile did not leave his face. He does not care. And I think a lot of people are who sort of the people who do inside baseball all the time on politics thought that Josh Matlow, owing to the fact that he doesn't necessarily make nice on council and that some people see him as self-promoting he doesn't care and apparently the voters don't mind either uh, Josh Matlow has said I'm gonna get in there and get stuff done I'm not there to be friends and I'm not here in the city to make friends with any one group or, or another aside from the voters themselves so again one of the major takeaways would be if you combine Chow and Matlow who are seen as running from the left that's already 25% of the vote. Saunders and Bradford, um, 11 and 6, make 17. So, again, I think that sort of the, the analysts are getting caught flat-footed on all, all of this by the voters themselves. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. John Moore.
5.35 is the time. Striking federal workers are going to be trying to be more evident, I guess. I don't know about you. I haven't come across any protesters, but I didn't spend a lot of time uh, in the downtown or around any federal buildings since the strike began. I was away for the weekend. We took off mid-morning Friday, and so far I haven't come across anything I'm going to be inconvenienced by. My dealings today will be with provincial government workers when I go to Service Ontario, so I, you know, I'm not perturbed by this. Maybe you are, though. You can always text us and say, oh, by the way, John, I'm this, that, or the other thing is wrong, and I can't get something done because these federal workers are out. But anyway, at the risk of saying something that a whole bunch of people are going to argue about, I just don't see the uh, kind of urgency about this civil service strike that I've seen in other strikes in the past. I think we no longer live in the classic era of work stoppages that bring us to our knees. You know, trains, the the postal office when somebody actually had to get something in the mail. Uh, These used to be very huge events. And this strike, I think that's probably why they're upping their game today, is because nobody's been paying any attention. The Prime Minister has been in the media saying that we need to get to a deal and that he was hopeful that we would get to a deal. The Prime Minister has done nothing to move these negotiations along. Our members are fed up. Our bargaining teams are fed up. See, it's... It's, it's sort of like a grand Shakespearean performance in, you know, at an elementary school. It just, I, and I'm not try, trying to take anything away from these workers and the legitimacy of some of the things that they want. For one thing, they just want a signed deal and they want some movement on working from home. Okay, great. Um, get into it and look after the wage demands. But it's just, there were some big famous labor leaders back in the day. And I think some of the people today try to model their level of public indignation and the outrage on behalf of the working person. And it just, it doesn't quite have the same ring to it. So um, in terms of paying your taxes, you are still gonna have to pay your taxes and file your taxes as a matter of fact. The deadline, is April 30th, but since that's a Sunday, it's going to be like when you ask the teacher for an extra 24 hours. Technically, it'll be on May 1st. And here's the thing with taxes. Um, If you have paid up, then you got nothing to worry about. So it's not even like you must absolutely, on on the 1st of May, you have to submit all the paperwork and a check. I mean, you can send the government preemptively some money today, and then they won't charge you anything. As a matter of fact, they may calculate that you deserve a refund. They won't pay you interest on that, but they'll send you your refund. But you can expect an immediate 5% penalty on whatever you owe on the 1st of May, plus 1% every full month that you file late up to a maximum of 12 months. So as uh, one person who works in the industry gives as an example, let's say you're a gig worker, they say, so you haven't paid any taxes during the year. At the end of the year, you owe 10,000 in taxes. Even filing your taxes one day late would result in a $500 fine in addition to that 1% for every month that you don't file. So it may pinch but it always pays to submit a payment ahead of schedule that is roughly in line with what you think you are going to owe. 
Here's something that I put on the agenda, and uh, Scott Reed is going to be here on the morning brief. He always has some uh, sharp observations on a Monday morning about the day's big stories. You may have seen over the weekend some coverage of the former industry minister at the federal level, Navdeep Baines, who is going to go work at Rogers. The opposition parties, the NDP and the Conservatives, are furious about this. They say you can't take a guy who two years ago was working administering the law and regulations as concerns um, a cell phone and uh, digital provider. And now two years later, he's going to work for them. Um, Navneet Baines proactively contacted the Ethics and Lobbying Commissioner in Ottawa and was given clearance to join Rogers. I think this could end up being a double-edged sword for the Conservatives and the NDP because eventually some of them are going to get out of government and want to get a decent job. Um, now, the the wrinkle here for Navdeep Baines would be that his the sector he's going into is the sector he dealt with directly. So, you know, if the minister in charge of railways were to leave office and two years later go to work for CN or CP, I suppose that would raise uh, some eyebrows. Anyway, we'll see what Scott Reed has to say about this. But uh, there is a cooling off period that actually a lot of people in politics are upset about because they say it prevents them from getting a decent job. It, it's actually, uh, it works as a break for getting people out of the House, which is what a lot of people would like to get, a, you know, to have a turnover in the House of Commons, to have a turnover in cabinet. But if you create too much of a buffer where they can't make a living in a sector that they have experience in, then, you know, they'll probably just sit there. Uh, interesting figures from the provincial government over the weekend. Actually, the figure would be zero. Provincial government says no one in Ontario has yet been fined under this long-term care law, which you'll remember, it went into effect in September. And the idea was that you would be transferred out of a hospital bed once you were ready for a long-term care home. And if you refused to be transferred out of that bed, then you would face fines. And now, I don't know if it's because absolutely nobody has refused yet, which I think is almost impossible, or it's because they've been able to, or it's because they've been very forgiving because they didn't need in the first few months of this new policy, um, you know, some somebody's grandmother crying on, on the news about having been, uh, you know, offered a, a place 250 kilometers away and saying no, and now they're facing fines that they simply can't afford. Profile today, I'm still trying to figure this out. If this is an account in the National Post of an interview Sophie Gregoire gave to another outlet, or if this is just a profile they decided to do, in which case it's a little treacly. It's a profile of Sophie Gregoire Trudeau talking about how her family is just like every other family. She said they have their struggles and their battles, and they have a cuddle room at the official residence. Like I said, it's a bit treacly. Um, she says that she likes to have people over, maintains an open door policy which I have a hard time believing since there are security guards on the front door and you must have to call ahead just to make sure that you're going to be, somebody's going to open the door. 
Um, but the Trudeaus live at Rideau College uh, uh, Cottage, as you know, which was completed in 1867, and they have tried very hard to make it a home. She says, to set the pace for her day, she begins her early mornings by lighting a candle and putting on music. A dedication to gratitude, she says, for another day on earth. So I, the comments after this particular column are astounding. The level of vitriol and hatred is astonishing. Um, and also the sort of double standard of things, because, you know, the leader of the opposition who likes to repre represent himself as the common man also lives in a mansion rent-free and also has servants. So the idea that the Trudeaus are spoiled when our prime ministers have always lived in a free residence and always had servants, there's just seems to be, nobody resented it when Harper lived there, but lots of people seem to resent it now. So we'll see what the pundits have to say about that. I wonder if Scott Reed's ever actually been in that house. That house is, if, you, if you're familiar with the precinct, you go up Sussex, so I think you're heading north, um, you go up Sussex, and 24 Sussex is on the left-hand side. It's pretty heavily gated, and there's a lot of trees. Not easy to get a good view of it. And then there is a rotary. And if you go into the rotary, you can go through the gates that go into the park that is the property of the Governor General. But there's a couple of houses in that park, and one of them is Rideau Cottage. And it was the residence, up until Justin Trudeau got elected in 2015, it was the residence of the secretary to the governor general, who was told after the election that Justin Trudeau didn't want to go to 24 Sussex, so he was going to have to move and find somewhere else to live, and the Trudeau family was going to live in that house. I have never seen that house in any great detail. I have seen 24 Sussex, and you know, you know my record on that. It's a dump. There's nothing historic about it. Tear it down. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Spent some time in the last 24 hours trying to find something that would give me a map of what the provincial government announced on Saturday, Earth Day, for a new provincial park near Uxbridge. I'd like to just see a map of that area with lines on it. Maybe the minister can do that for us today. At the very least, I'm sure he can describe it. Because I know, I want to know, okay, is this actually parkland, and actually this is what some activists are saying, is this going to be parkland that can genuinely be used for recreation? Um, it's kind of like there's uh, in the ravine, the valley, uh, where you can find uh, I'm trying to a Flemington Golf Course. I talk about it all the time. Um, it's land that is partly owned by the uh, Hydro Toronto, and then um, I... I imagine that it's the family that owns the golf course that owns parts of it. The thing is, there is a development being proposed. It's a nine-hole golf course. By my eye, there are only two of nine holes that you could actually build on. The rest, they're saying, they're going to turn into a park, which is a great idea if there's any reason to go to that park. Now, if they create all kinds of things, uh, I, the, the river's not navigable, so there's no point in that. I guess they could put in bike paths and connect some of the north, you know, along north-south access. They could um, link up some bike paths. But I do question there's going to be seven 
current holes of a golf course and what is the future of those if they open it up as a park. I have the same questions for this Oak Ridges Moraine Provincial Park. And then the other question would be something that a lot of environmentalists were squawking about on the weekend, and it's not a false argument. Okay, is this just to make you guys look good now that you've opened up all kinds of land to be used either for a highway or for housing development? On the weekend, uh, we lost one of the all-time comedians, Barry Humphreys, but better known to everybody, I think, is Dame Edna. And Dame Edna actually had, I'm trying to remember how long Dame Edna was here, but she had a residency in Toronto for a period of time. Um, just somebody observed on the weekend that almost no performer performing in character has ever been able to hold an audience the way Dame Edna could. Here's just a sample. Uh, she was on Graham Norton, the British talk show, and Dame Edna always liked engaging the audience. That was probably 50% of the content of her show was teasing people in the audience. I love just being on this beautiful show with you, and I'm wearing, of course, my retro Scylla black look. <laughs> this is my beautiful. back the 60s. This is an original by Mary Quant. Really? It is. It was a wonderful designer of the 60s and you know I've had this since that far off age and I've never had any alterations on it it's never been changed <laughs> my quant is the same size as it was in the 60s <laughs> oh, lovely look at this little girl in the front row with a rose hello what's your name Debbie. hello Debbie that's pretty that's short for Deborah isn't it Lovely. <laughs> oh, and that gorgeous little woman too. Where, where are you from? I'm, I'm from Ghana. From Ghana. Yeah. I've never been there, and I don't think I'm ever going to go. <laughs> what is your name? Is it? Sharon. Sharon. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to think, Sharon, of a word to describe what you're wearing. <laughs> Affordable. That's <a> <laughs> and that's the thing. Uh, Dame Edna insulted people, and she was rude and ignorant and stepped all over everybody, but people loved every last minute. They loved the abuse. And Nick, you actually dealt with uh, Barry Humphrey slash Dame Edna on the phone? Yeah, so uh, quite a few years ago, maybe when um, Dame Edna was here in Toronto, as you mentioned, I had to call the hotel room for an interview. We were pre-recording for um, for that uh, occasion. And so I asked, call the hotel, room 226, please. The phone rings. Hello. I'm expecting Dame Edna, yeah. but it's hello. Uh, hi, I'm looking for Dame Edna. And then he went right into character and stayed in character throughout the whole exchange. He played that character for, I think, four decades says that when he was young, he was on tour on a bus with a bunch of actors, and they were doing Shakespeare or something like that. And they all had to do party pieces on the bus just to stay sane. And his thing was to impersonate all of the either mayors or mayors' wives that they met as they went along, because they always were these sort of frowning middle-class frumps who would say, thank you so much for bringing culture to our little town. And it was funny in watching him tell that story because he was as Barry Humphreys on a talk show and he turned it into Dave Bandit.
It's 5.52, continued to unpack today's stories, including, do I have this right that tonight is sort of a, we got a, a hockey game and a Blue Jays game. So there is no shortage. You're going to have to do picture in picture. That's the Breakfast Wrap. Thanks for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.